following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the big old program, episode 847 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined indeed, as I always am, by the lovely, talented, and sometimes scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. It feels very much right now like it did when we first started the podcast in 2014, which we're coming up on our anniversary of starting the podcast, by the way. Very exciting. Just under a month. March 11th, 2014, we started this very show. And the reason that it feels similar is that, as many of you know, we recently moved and we are again in a period of transition. The YouTube studio, pretty much completely set up. That's why I said pretty much. Yeah, 85%, I'd say. Guy with the faces. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast studio, eh, not as much. Not as much. It is a hollow shell. Mm-hmm. I have to really, really get into the microphone in order to avoid the, the echoey chamber of horrors. Yeah. Otherwise. I we're sitting in two different chairs. Our, two, two different. Well, of course, we're sitting in two different chairs. We're sitting in two different styles of chair. <laughs> you are in a mood today. What do you I'll mean? Tell you that. That, no. Who's gonna know we're that gonna... you're not talking about? Like you're sitting on my fucking lap doing the show. <laughs> That's what people assume. Is you're that in, I'm in one your of those. Lap. You're in one of those very desk standing desk stools. Yeah. And I am in a luxurious. Bright orange IKEA chair. Speaking of what everyone's going to know, they're so going to be like, you're, you're, "Wait, the very stool? Oh, of course." You're, you're seated far <laughs> higher than I am. I'm looking yes. up at you yeah. while you peer down on me in judgment. Which I mean is very fitting. It is apropos. We're really painting a picture with our words, yeah. right now. <laughs> so it feels it feels like we just started, but we're getting it together. Everything is going great. We do have some housekeeping items that we would like to take care of. So. The thing with the end of year gift is that we sent hundreds of these things out and we're still hundreds. not we're still not talking about what they are. We sent hundreds of them and I'm talking over 400 of them went out. We went to the the post office and they had a little yellow slip in our PO box which oh, usually man. is is something that excites us because it means we have a little treat that couldn't fit in the PO box. So it's some sort of gift that is a box that we can open. And instead of an amazing little treat for us, it was 60 returned end of year gifts. And your guess is as good as mine as to why 300 plus of the end of year gifts went out no problem and 60 happened to be returned when they were all same postage, same envelope, <laughs> I, same completely same situation. Also let me say it's 60 so far. Well, no, no, because we already went through this process. Of, yeah, but we haven't gone back to the post office to see 
If we have more returned. Right, but we already went through this process of having things returned. We had settled on a method that worked because we tested it yeah. by sending it to people and it worked. There were no issues. And they were returned insufficient postage. And now we're having this happen again. But the thing is, most of them have reached their destination. So the ones that I got back, I put more postage on. Doubled the postage. Way more postage than it needed. Yeah. And so there should be no problem now. But it's weird because they've made it to London. Yeah, right. (laughs) International. They made it to Denmark. And for some reason, it's like, no, we will not deliver this to someone else who lives in Washington, D.C. One that we sent to Team Ian here in D.C. They could have just given it to him when he shows up to play poker. Uh, One got returned. Yeah, so I don't know. (laughs) And our post office, very close to where he lives. Yeah, so I... I don't know what's going on, but it's fine. Louis DeJoy! Most of them have made it... Most of them at this point are going to make it. So we're still saying, listen, if you haven't gotten it by the end of the month, let us know. Yeah, and do let us know. So last year, people were like, oh, I didn't. Well, I don't want to bother you. I know it's just the the da-da-da-da. We got these because we want you to have them. If you don't get it, please, I will consider it a personal affront if you don't reach out and say, hey, fuckers, I didn't get my thing. Yeah, so continue to be on the lookout for that. Now, I will say... Last time we said, look for a black envelope. Some of you are getting a white envelope because <laughs> we decided to change envelopes. Because I have this theory that what happened here is they got sick of seeing these in the mail bin and they just started grabbing them. And they're like, we're sick of these envelopes. <laughs> I don't get paid enough for this <laughs> we're bullshit. We're done. This is hundreds of these things. What are these? <laughs> and so I'm trying to trick them by uh, sending white envelopes now. So Anyway, the last of them went out, and like Jesse, Mr. Pessimist Attitude Guy over here what? is talking about how, well, no, there's going to be way more returned, so we'll see oh, if that's actually you think the case. that's pessimistic? Yeah. All right, well, when we come back on Tuesday to record the next episode, since we're back on our two, two episodes a week bullshit, uh, we'll see who is vindicated in this matter. So... Be on the lookout for that. Now, another big announcement we have is that we've changed podcast servers. And some of you may notice that you are now being served ads for the show. And we are offering a new perk on Patreon that is ad-free show. So if you become a Patreon supporter, any amount, you can do the 10% off for the yearly rate. You can do... You know, we we charge by the month. So whatever monthly amount you want to give, $2 a month, you get the ad-free show. Some people may be confused, as I was. I was reaching out to more of our tech-savvy listeners and asking, hey, how does this RSS thing work? So basically what (laughs) happens is you get the link to the ad-free show by becoming a Patreon supporter. And you take that link and you put it into whatever podcatcher you listen to. So if you use Apple Podcasts to listen to the show or you use Spotify, you take that RSS link and you put it into Apple Podcasts. There'll there'll be a thing that you can connect, like subscribe through URL, and then you actually physically put the URL in there and then it just subscribes to the show, to that that RSS feed. Right, and it makes it very easy and then it populates the ad-free show in there. Some people have messaged us because we have beautiful friends, we have beautiful listeners who want to support us and they say, hey guys, do you make more money if we listen to the one with the ads? And the answer is, 
Well, yeah, but if it's, you know, a few people that are choosing to do that rather than like thousands, for example, it's not going to make a tremendous difference. So it's a very nice thought. But listen, if ads are going to torture you, don't torture yourself. Just become a Patreon supporter. Yeah. Don't torture yourself. That's a good slogan, I think, for signing up for Patreon. And unless you have something else, I want to address, I want to play a voicemail from a listener about the ads that were served to them. Yes. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Gilly in Colorado. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I just heard the ad for Sticker Mule. I suggest you look deeper into who they contribute to in terms of campaigns. Because um, the last I read, they were supporting Trump, which is why I switched to Sticker Up, um, which does great. Uh, just thought you guys should know. Love the show. You're all the best part. So Gilly is right. They are absolutely 100% correct. And I would say this. We we don't have control over which ads get served, much like on my YouTube videos when, like, I got an email today about they're trying to sell fake golden $1,000 bills with Trump's face on them. Yeah, okay, well, let them waste their money. Absolutely, I would never fucking do business with Sticker Mule. Fuck them. They can fuck straight off, as we've been uh, want to say on this show over the course of the last couple episodes. So no, I, I don't care about them, but uh, let them waste their money. So, but thank you, Gilly. And if you find out from someone, or or in the course of listening to the show, that someone gets advertised that uh, you're not a fan of, eh, do like Gilly did and uh, let us know. Yeah, and I will also say this: people will say, "Wait, you don't control the ads." Here's the difference: the ones that you read, you decide. That's right. And you may be hearing us, in fact on the show, if you're not a Patreon supporter, reading ads <laughs> in, the, in the future. You may hear that because that's that's a part of what, what is to come. And I will say that we have turned down many, many, many companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we will not advertise. Far more companies that we've accepted have we turned down. We will not advertise for certain things. And it is a bummer. And I think sometimes it bums our manager out. <laughs> Because, you know, we're like, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, wait, what? we could make money from this. It's like, yeah, but we're not going to read that. So we we do pick and choose certain things. But in terms of the ads that run before your videos, the ones you're not reading, they're just ads that run before your videos. Programmatic. You can't control that. The ones that are running before the show, during the show here that we're not reading, we can't control that. So yeah, Sticker Mule, not great, but... Hey, if they want to spend money advertising here while we like come in after their ad and say, hey, don't buy from them, (laughs) then I guess that's what they get. Let's also hope that our, uh, anyway, never mind. Um, Listen, all of this is, is, is is great news. It means we're growing the show. We're growing the operation. We're reaching far more people. And our message, and we hope the message that you appreciate too, is also reaching more people. Speaking of that, let's get to some listener communication related to some of the talk that we've had over the course of the last couple episodes about um, bigots and how you deal with them and whether you should uh, roll in and try to convince or whether you should take my recent tack, which is fuck straight off. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. This is Catherine from California. I'm calling to respond to the conversation you were having about telling people to fuck straight off. And uh, Brittany said something that really stuck with me. She said something to the effect of what is our path forward other than convincing people, other than um, 
making them see the light, so to speak. And, you know, internally, I feel a little bit more like Brittany, where I'm like, yes, let's have this measured, reasonable conversation to convince people. And then um, externally, I think I'm a little bit more like Jesse, where I'm like, you know what? Fuck the lot of you. Um, When especially for things that are human rights issues, you know, um, we can uh, agree to disagree respectfully and that's good and well and everything except for things that are human rights issues. So when I'm having conversations with people, especially family members, um, I just end up telling them to fuck off. And, you know, you can tell I'm really liked at family parties. But how do we go about having those conversations with people when our blood is boiling, when um, they are saying things that are transphobic, when they're saying things that are homophobic or racist? Like, uh, I just, I, hmm, I can't sometimes with people. Um, What do you guys think? How do we go about doing that? Love you both. Bye. So, one, I don't think there's one answer to this. I don't think it's it's a, it's a cut and dry thing because uh, situations are fluid and it depends on who's there. And if you if it's family, for instance, and you know them, you know how recalcitrant they are regarding uh, bigotry, regarding human rights, whatever, you can make those decisions on the fly. But I would say some people have certain talents and some people don't have those certain talents. I'm not someone who has the ability to... To abide it. I can't, like, I can't even, like, process, like, I just want to smash heads. You know what I mean? Where, Brittany, you have a talent for communicating and reaching people. It's probably the therapy background. And I would say, if you're, listen, if you have the ability to reason with someone and you think that you have the possibility of getting through, I think you should do that without a doubt. And maybe there'll be a case someday where I find myself in that situation. And if I see a light at the end of the tunnel, or at least a glimmer of hope to maybe sway them so someone down the road can finish the work, I will do that. Up to this point, I haven't really found myself in a position to, to, to in that situation. But I don't know. I, I'm Again, this is, it's an ongoing thing with, the, with talking to the audience about this particular topic. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts. I think it is very much what you said, Jesse, that it is highly contingent upon who you're talking to, how well you know them, what the vibe of the situation is. I will say that I've been in situations where both have happened. I One of my favorite pastimes when I'm on vacation and we're out <laughs> is striking up conversations with people yeah. that, because I've always been annoying, turn political quite quickly and... Uh, actually there was just in my memories on Facebook, there was a post that I made where I, it started off last night. I continued my tradition of having political conversations with people I meet on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of where we were. I know we, three years ago, we were here in DC. We were here. Yeah. Because it starts off with a man told me that 73% of the children in his school district in Maryland are illegal immigrants. Uh. And I remember this guy. We talked for a long time and you actually left because you were done hearing it from him. And I classic, classic situation that we face all the time. But I saw something in him where I was being a little bit of a dick and he could handle it and he didn't like it sometimes. And he called me out for it at certain points when I was being a dick. And ultimately, you know, I asked him for the source on that and I started interrogating the claims and I started poking holes in the logic. Yeah. And I started doing some Socratic questioning (laughs) and he 
was struggling. And I, I don't think that I changed his mind. I don't think that he came around and, and he's a, a leftist now. I don't think that he right. is for open borders or like completely reversed his position on immigration. But I, I do hope that what he walked away from he is... He left to go get a Bernie tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that he walked away from that experience with a voice inside his head, preferably mine, that says, what's the source on that? Do you have evidence for that? Uh, where, where did you get that information? Where'd you read that? You know, because if you're going to mouth off to somebody and you don't know what you're talking about, I hope that in these situations, most people are being challenged. Yeah. That's really what I would hope. Now, when it comes to the issue of trans people, Wait, like you're just jumping right ahead. I wanted to tell my joke that he he did walk away with your voice in his head. Look at you with your fucking jokes. <laughs> you're, just, you're so determined to say good shit that you don't give me a chance to get my wisecracks in. Yes. So when it comes to trans people, I would say that again, I would repeat what I said on, on the previous show that I'm not sitting here like, Oh, we need to have, you know, JK rolling at the table and let's right, really, let's right. hear these transphobes out. We need to know their perspective. I'm not pulling a Megan Phelps Roper, for example, who just rolled out her new podcast, giving a kind of both sides, like let's hear from the transphobes and let's hear from trans people. And Th- these are equal perspectives. They, they can both be radical. Look at this. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when it comes to support for gay marriage in this country in 1996, only 27% of Americans supported same-sex marriage. Yeah. And in 2022, that's 71%. It became a majority support issue in, I mean a relatively short period of time, given how the majority of Americans did not support this in 96. I mean, think of where you were in 96. Let's even go to like when I was in high school. Nope, not majority support. When I was in high school, there was not majority support for same-sex marriage. So think of where you were in those years and who you knew at the time and how many people were against same-sex marriage. That has changed. There's now majority support for it. Did that happen because every time you heard from someone that was like, yeah, I don't support same-sex marriage, you were like, hey, fuck off. No, I, I don't know. No, I, I think there, I think there, the shame component does play a role, certainly, that people keep their mouth shut, and then others who might be influenced by bigots aren't hearing them because they're too afraid to speak. Yeah, and I, like I said, I don't think you can convince all bigots. Right. I don't no, know. for sure not. There's, there's just going to be, obviously, bigot holdouts, just like there is still. Bigot holdouts. In 2022, with same-sex marriage, there's it's 71%. That's wild. Uh, even interracial marriage isn't at 100%. I, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you, listen, the bigot holdouts be, will always be there. It might be like 10% of people don't believe, like double digits, <laughs> yeah, it might I'm be. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's probably getting worse, quite frankly, with the growing God bless America. Land that I love. Anyway, my concern is how do we get from where we are now to getting to a point where we have more people on board for protecting vulnerable populations? Yeah. That's my primary concern. And so, you know, if, if, if Catherine is asking like me personally, how I engage with that, it's on a very one-to-one basis. I mean, sometimes I have been known to take Jesse's approach in public and sometimes I have been known to have, I thought you were going to give specifics, have really important conversations with people that can get heated, but you know, that, that ultimately 
I walk away and just hope for the best. Yeah. So, you know, it depends. And if you're talking about your family, you know them the best. Are they going to be persuaded? And also there's a certain element of, like you talked about last time, Jesse, or, or whenever you talked about it, the intervention uh, metaphor that you yeah, used. Yeah, yeah. Where you have a choice what you're going to put yourself around. If, if you're around someone who's making actively hateful comments, I, I mean, that's probably not something that I would uh, choose to be around. And I would make it clear that I'm, I'm not going to be. But this is the reason why you're not going to have me around anymore. Yes. There's consequence to your bigotry. Yes. That, yeah. that, that I, I would not tolerate that. So yeah, I mean, it, it's complicated. We have this this conversation, I feel like, on an ongoing basis on the show. because Certainly people, around the holidays. Like, how do I fucking deal with my family? Well, and I think it's a credit to people. I think it's a credit to Catherine that they, that they have this on their, on their mind, that they want to know, what can I do to help? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's coming from a good place. And once again, we would throw it to the audience. I would love to continue this conversation with more ideas and, and more thoughts on it. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we have been talking about the the trans community a lot on the show, and we've also been talking about Idaho a lot on the show. And shout out to my favorite KTVB reporter, Brian Holmes. <laughs> been watching a lot of Brian Holmes lately. Yeah, I know. I, making dinner last night. I was like, is this... What are we just watching constant Idaho news right now? Are we the, we can't get enough of, of Idaho's bigotry in the news? Well, listen, I want to get Brian Holmes on the show because I want to apologize. Mainly because he reached out to me. Brian Holmes, for those of you, for all of you who don't know who he is, he's like an anchor slash reporter for the NBC affiliate in Boise, Idaho. Yeah, KTVB. I said that. <laughs> Everybody knows. So... He reached out to me when my former high school terrorist boyfriend was in the news for being an insurrectionist, and he sent me a direct message on Twitter, Brian Holmes, and he said, hey, Brittany, Brian Holmes with KTVB would love to talk to you about your high school boyfriend if you have a chance. I never responded to that. Right. <laughs> Not something I was interested in doing, but I want to apologize for ghosting him. So maybe we'll have him on the show and I can do that. So Idaho is taking up a bill to ban gender affirming care. It has passed the House. It is on its way to the Senate. And in this news package, you are going to hear from people that are impacted by this bill and also from the Republicans who support it. Welcome to the News at 10. The Idaho House forwarded a bill today that would ban health care providers from providing gender-affirming medical care to minors with gender dysphoria. House Bill 71 would take away the option for transgender teenagers and their parents and make it a felony for those doctors who do that. It passed the House 58 to 12, with one Republican voting against it. Abby Davis spoke with people on both sides of the issue about this vote, which had more support than the last time they tried it. Abby? Well, this was basically a party line vote on a heated topic lawmakers in Idaho have debated for years now. One teenager I spoke with told me this bill would have dire consequences on both the physical and mental health of transgender children and teens. 
58 ayes, 12 nays, majority having voted in favor of House Bill 71. House Bill 71 has passed the House. House Bill 71, now on its way to the Senate, would change the lives of transgender children and teens in Idaho. It's barring us from life-saving medication. If signed into law, health professionals could face up to 10 years in prison for providing gender-affirming care to minors. That includes the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and sex reassignment surgeries. This bill is about children. Republican Representative Bruce Gogg helped write the bill, which passed the House on Tuesday, 58 to 12. During his speech, Skog claimed children with gender dysphoria are confused and said certain surgeries and medications have long-term consequences. Why would we allow them in this tender state of mind that is under 18 to make decisions on having their bodily parts, healthy bodily organs removed? But 17-year-old Eve Devitt says transgender children and teens go through months and months of tests and evaluations before even getting on hormonal medication. It took me... 15 months of constant medical visits to be able to get onto hormones for the first time. Taking trans kids off of hormones, especially if we've been on them for a long time, just like that, super dangerous, just on its own. Uh, without the the mental health issues that will come along with that. Skog and other supporters of the bill say there are other options available. The best way to reduce suicides in children is to give them traditional talk therapy, counseling, and care as they go through puberty in these confusing confusing times of life. We need to recognize that the kids are not equipped to make these sorts of decisions at such young ages, especially when the harms are so severe. Some lawmakers, like Democrat Representative Alana Rubel, hope senators kill the bill completely or at least make some changes. Keep in the ban on surgery. Again, that's kind of an irrelevant point because nobody does a surgery. But to remove the ban on puberty blockers um, so that the families that need it can get that care and we're not forcing doctors into prison or forcing families out of state. But Idaho Family Policy Center President Blaine Gonzati doesn't want to take any chances. He helped legislators draft this bill. From our perspective, these drugs are just as harmful and kids need to be just as protected from them as they are from sex reassignment surgeries. The bill now moves to a Senate committee before going to the Senate floor and then eventually the governor, if it gets that far. Senators could always revise and amend some of the bill, which would then send it back to the House. The changes they made, as you mentioned, Abby, they've tried this years before. It was uh, Representative Skog had a life sentence attached to this bill last year, dropped it to a 10-year felony this year. That was more palatable, apparently, maybe. Yes. Okay. All right. Abby Davis, thank you. So that was Brian Holmes and the co-anchor talking there. And this is an example where you you heard them say that they're going to present both sides, but there was a clear emphasis on the the facts of this and how this is actually going to impact trans people living in Idaho yeah. and how severe the consequences are going to be. 10 years in prison for doctors who provide health care for trans Idahoans. Now, I will also add, they didn't say this in the news package, but this is in their write-up on KTVB.com, that there's no evidence that the any sort of surgery for minors has happened in the state of Idaho. Yeah. So they're banning something that they haven't even found evidence has, has occurred. And they specifically quote a representative, Chris Mathias, a Democrat in Boise, that said in his two years of digging into the issue, he has not met one healthcare provider that provides 
those surgeries for minors. Yeah. So this is something again that they're banning. That's an imaginary problem that they've created, and we can go through all of the the issues with with the logic. But this is the new assault that the that the right wing is inflicting on people in this country. Well, it's it's very unfortunate that such radicals have commandeered legislatures all over the country. Uh, they're so radical in Idaho that some dumb fuck has put forward a bill to make it illegal to administer a COVID vaccine. Criminalize administering a COVID vaccine while we're still at the tail end, but, you know, a pandemic. Well, it's, so, it's medicine. I mean, this is Idaho <laughs> fuckery, without a doubt. Yeah, so we have also been covering, this is kind of like a, a follow-up, I guess, to these uh, various stories of police misconduct, police violence, police killings. And in these conversations, we've consistently come back to the issue that you have to heavily document something in order to have any possibility of justice being served in these situations. Now, I came across this story where it isn't a story of police misconduct necessarily. I mean, it kind of is actually now that I'm thinking that. But it's actually a family that was being attacked by a racist who was coming to their door, pounding on the door, yelling racist things, and their their ring camera was recording it. And they called the police for help. Numerous times prior to them submitting the, the video. And the police did not do anything meaningful until, that is, this person turned to the internet and the video went viral and then the police felt pressure to do something. Prosecutors have charged a St. Louis woman with three felonies saying she harassed a family at their home, allegedly because of their Mexican descent, and it's all caught on camera. The frightened family says they have called police numerous times about her alleged racist tirades. ABC's M. Wynn has the story. M. good morning. Good morning, Whit. Yeah, despite the woman now facing charges, the family tells us they're still scared. And now police are facing mounting questions as to why more hasn't been done to protect the family. This was what Fatima Suarez and her family saw outside their front door for more than a year. I'm coming back. You wait and see. Get out. It's my home. This morning, a St. Louis woman is now facing charges after allegedly terrorizing a family, several incidents caught on doorbell camera video. American citizen, angry at you. 54-year-old Judy Klein charged with first-degree burglary, first-degree property damage, and unlawful use of a weapon. This coming more than a year after St. Louis prosecutors say ring video shows Klein smashing a hammer into the family's front door. Just moments earlier, Suarez, the homeowner's daughter, alleges Klein broke into the family's back door and got into the house while her four-year-old sister and dad were at home. Judy had her hand up with the hammer. She was yelling, you're a bunch of illegals. A lot of emotions went through my body. Like She literally had the opportunity to kill my dad or my sister. A local police department booking data report shows Klein was arrested that day and charged with aggravated burglary and property damage. But that case was not pursued. It made me feel that we didn't matter at all to the justice system. Suarez, whose family is of Mexican descent, alleges Klein then returned to their house multiple times, including last week, hurling racist comments at them and even going through their mail. Get out, you're a bunch of illegals. You don't belong on America. 
happening? You have something to do with 9 11, Jack? In these later alleged encounters, Klein didn't face any new charges. I called the police every time. Frustrated, Suarez decided to post the ring videos on social media, which recently went viral, sparking outrage and questions about why police weren't taking action. They took too long with the charges. I mean, um, just now, you know, that the video got viral, I was able to get answers. As of Thursday, the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department said Klein was not in custody. They went on to say in a statement, we will not be commenting any further as this is an ongoing investigation. ABC News could not reach Klein for a comment. I don't know if this time she might take a gun or something. I want my family to feel like they can be in peace in their own home again. The Suarez family sought an ex-part order of protection to keep Klein from contacting them. That hearing is set for Wednesday. Eva. So the video footage is even more disturbing. I know it's kind of strange to be hearing it narrated for you and then hearing like, oh, and then she has a hammer and then you hear the hammer being slammed into the door. But I mean, imagine, imagine that visual of like a woman coming to your door and whispering into your ring camera recording that she's going to come back. I mean, very... She lives there. This is disturbing. my property. It's disturbing. More disturbing, I think, that the cops' laziness, lack of concern, bigotry, who knows why they didn't intervene in this on this family's behalf and do the thing they're paid to do which is protect and serve. Right. Well, another story out of Missouri having to do with a similar theme in terms of the justice system is that a a murder conviction was overturned for a man who had been in prison. I saw various headlines. This news package says 27 years. I saw news packages that said 28 years. So between 27 and 28 years, this man was- A lifetime's worth of time. Was in prison and I chose this news package in particular because it's so problematic. And like I said, when I'm getting clips for the show, I listen to a variety of, of news sources, which has actually been beneficial for me to do for my own education because I get to hear the different perspectives. This one leans heavily on the perspective of the government, the perspective of prosecutors. And I want you to hear how they talk about the justice system while while talking about a case where a man was imprisoned while he was innocent for almost 30 years. The conviction of Lamar Johnson and State v. Lamar Johnson calls 22941-37068. It's hereby set aside. 49-year-old Lamar Johnson spent half of his life in prison for the murder of Marcus Boyd. For nearly 30 years, he has maintained his innocence. We showed that... The city of St. Louis and the state of Missouri is about justice and not defending the finality of a conviction. Special Prosecutor Jonathan Potts says they spent a year investigating this case before filing a motion in August of last year to get the conviction thrown out. We actually brought the true murderer out and he confessed in the open courtroom and admitted that he and not Lamar Johnson had actually killed the victim. Do you think the justice system truly wronged him in this case? It absolutely did. This case you know, on one level is about Lamar, and it's about making sure that an innocent person doesn't spend the rest of their life in prison. But it's also about the justice system being accountable for its own mistakes. Activist Reverend Daryl Gray says this is truly liberating. I told him 
that he is the answer to someone's prayer. Gray says this is encouraging and gives him hope for all of the other innocent incarcerated people. This shows that that the legislation can work, that the process can work, that justice can work if you apply it fairly. As Johnson walked out of the holding area, a free man, he thanked Circuit Court Judge David Mason, his attorneys, and everyone fighting for his freedom. All of the people came out and supported me and family was overwhelmed and so happy to have him home. He's now going to be able to have those relationships that he's been putting off for the past 28 years of his life. And like you said, in April, I think he's going to be able to walk his daughter down the aisle. Johnson shared these last few words before riding off to start his life over again. I'm glad to be free. (laughs) So this happened because an eyewitness, an eyewitness said he's the one who did it picked Lamar Johnson out and said he's the one who did it. A white man. And then that same witness, 28 year, nearly 30 years later, said, I was pressured by cops. I wanted to be helpful, so I lied. Right. And Lamar Johnson is black, and the witness, the eyewitness is white. And the real murderer, like she just said, was in court and said, actually, I did it. Right. Two other men have confessed and said that Lamar Johnson was not involved. And so through that... They they came to this rightful conclusion that he should not be in prison. Now, the disgusting thing here is that in Missouri does not provide compensa- compensation for people who have been wrongfully convicted unless they are exonerated through a very specific procedure. So that means that Lamar Johnson does not qualify for compensation after having been in prison for almost 30 years because of faulty eyewitness testimony and terrible police tactics. Convicted of something he didn't do, and then we hear they set aside the conviction. So the Midwest Innocence Project has launched a GoFundMe to help Lamar Johnson because he's walking out of prison after almost 30 years, and they are not giving him anything. Imagine that. It is remarkable listening to some of the, the prosecutors talk as though justice was served. Like, right. oh, justice, see, it works. The system works. <laughs> and then this goober at the end saying that he can finally get back to the relationships he's been putting off. Putting that on him. He hasn't been putting off having relationships. He's been in prison, mm-hmm. bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just a weird way to to frame this entire thing. And the just I mean again the justice system is not working if after you have to be in prison for 30 years before they can figure out how to get you out when you shouldn't be there. Uh, he went in at like 20 years old or something and then now he's like 48, he's almost 50 years old. Yeah, that that's not an example of the justice system working. And this is why by the way we should be very suspicious and if you're like me against the death penalty because you're going to tell me that all the people that we've put to death in this country there wasn't an innocent person that made it through that process i mean i find that hard to believe right well listen a lot of this has to do with the leaders we pick who do we want in charge oh and by the way speaking of this the missouri attorney general was absolutely opposed to this taking place, yeah. opposed to this innocent man being released from prison after having spent 
rotting away in jail for something he did not do, had nothing to do with Republican Attorney General in the state of Missouri. Yeah. So getting back to my point about this matters what leaders we pick to run our country and be in, in positions of power, Nikki Haley has officially announced, Brittany mentioned that she was probably going to be this week, I think it was two days later, Nikki Haley has announced that she is indeed running for president against Donald Trump. It's time for a new generation of leadership. With a three-minute video, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley launched a long-speculated bid for the White House. The former U.N. ambassador diplomatically but clearly sought contrast with her former boss and now primary opponent, Donald Trump. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. The daughter of Indian immigrants, Haley, made history in 2010 as the first woman and first person of color elected governor in the Palmetto State. She led it following the massacre at the historic African-American Mother Emanuel Church in 2015. A white supremacist killed nine black parishioners. You are going to see all of us. Try and lift these nine families up in prayer. Reversing her position, Haley then pushed through the removal of the Confederate flag from state capitol grounds. The Confederate flag is coming off the grounds of the South Carolina State House. Now a national name, Haley backed a Floridian who was not Donald Trump in 2016. And that our next president will be Marco Rubio. This started a nuanced relationship with Trump, whose tone on immigrants she seemed to criticize in her State of the Union response that year. It can be tempting to follow the siren call of the angriest voices. We must resist that temptation. Nikki Haley, a very nice woman. She said, I'm an angry person. I said, I am. I'm very angry because I hate what's happening to our country. I am angry. But ultimately, Haley would support Trump and he would hire her as ambassador to the U.N. There is a new U.S. U.N. And unlike others in his orbit, she left the White House on her own terms and in good standing. It's been an honor of a lifetime. We'll be speaking all the time, but we will miss you nevertheless. In the time since, Haley's walked a tightrope of high praise and soft criticism of Trump. After the January 6th attack, she said he would be judged harshly for his role. The actions the president had since Election Day were not his finest. But later that year, she backed him as the leader and the future of the party. I would not run if President Trump ran. But he is running, and now so is she, highlighting her foreign policy record with notable words. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. And wading into the identity issues that Trump has stressed, raising the New York Times 1619 project on slavery, a flashpoint on the right. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but racist and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. Haley will hold a campaign kickoff event tomorrow in Charleston before heading to Iowa and New Hampshire. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Lisa Desjardins. So I don't know that we need to worry about this with the audience, but <laughs> I don't think a lot of people really know or care who Nikki Haley is. So we wanted to play that news package just to give everyone kind of a full perspective. You know, you, you might have known the piece about her being the United Nations ambassador under Trump. You might have known that she was the governor of South Carolina, but some of those other details you might not have known. And 
she entered the presidential race because she kind of became this Republican rising star after she was elected governor of South Carolina. And part of that is like what they talked about in that news package of her deciding to remove the Confederate flag from the South Carolina State House in the aftermath of the racist killings of the people at the, the church in Charleston. Even after the Republican went through the Dylan roof mm-hmm. and murdered you know, nearly 10 people. And then in 2016, she gave the Republican response to Obama's State of the Union. So she's kind of been this person that has been talked about for a few years as a possible presidential contender. Now, one thing that we want to remind people is that just because she sounds nice. Yeah. And she talks in a way that is like, huh, she seems kind of normal. She doesn't talk like Trump. She's not unhinged. She's a friendly sounding fascist. It doesn't mean, exactly. It, it doesn't mean that she isn't still a problem. She's still very much a problem. And she's proving that the more that she talks in her presidential campaign, including the recent interview that she did with Sean Hannity. You know, if you had to delineate where, say, you and President Trump differ on issues, where would you start? Well, first, let's say in reference to Whoopi, um, You know, the thought of me getting into the race makes the liberals' heads explode. And so I welcome it because it shows we're doing something right. You know, when it comes to what we're looking at now, listen to the first 20 minutes of your show. Look at everything that's wrong in this country and tell me we don't need new leadership. Let's remember, I'm pausing it. Let's remember the question was, what sets you apart from Trump? How are you different than Donald Trump? But the difference is we need new generational leadership. We have to leave the status quo. We have to leave this chaos behind. And we've got to start talking about the future. You need a Washington outsider that's going to come in and say, yes, I understand that families are having to pay more to make their grocery bill. I understand that they are worried about their children who may never get back from what they lost during COVID. I understand the fact that when someone's factory leaves town, he's worried that his future went with it. I understand that you should not have Americans looking up at the sky and seeing a Chinese spy balloon looking back at them. This is insanity. And what we need are a lot of changes. First of all, we've got too many politicians in D.C. that are past their prime. We have to have term limits in Congress. We need to see competency tests for any elected official over the age of 75. We've got to stop the spending addiction that is happening that is causing inflation to go up. And we need to start realizing that we don't need our politicians getting on TV and talking. We need the people in D.C. doing, and we need to spark a fire up under them. And that's what I'm willing to do. And if you are tired of losing, because we've lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. I cut out her website because, listen, we have to have standards in some ways (laughs) on this show, okay? Uh, Did you hear all those fresh new ideas that Nikki Haley has? Whoa. All I heard was that I'm younger than Donald Trump. (laughs) I mean, that's the only difference that she laid out. Right. And that she's wanting to put extra constitutional, unconstitutional additions to qualifiers to be president of the United States, which by way of cognitive tests. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's just, she's putting, like the constitution lays out what the, what the, the, the metrics you have to meet are to be president to, to qualify to run. And she wants to put extra on top. Well, I think it. I think that was probably a calculated campaign thing to really get her name in the headlines. because yeah. it's gonna make it's gonna make headlines when you're calling for a cognitive test for the candidate that you're running against. Man, woman, camera, or whatever the fucking words were <laughs> when he took the mocha. Yeah. So 
And this is just another little piece of information about Nikki Haley. She said recently that the Florida don't say gay bill, you know, the ban on classroom instruction on sexual orientation, gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. Well, she says it doesn't go far enough. Mm. So in addition to how she led her answer there with Hannity in terms of just saying that she wants to own the libs, she is very much a typical Republican who is leaning right into all of these issues and wanting to, like you say, uh, represent fascism, but with a smile. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. Are you going to vote for Nikki Haley? (laughs) (laughs) 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Carl S. Carl S. Donald J. Donald J. Eva S. Eva S. Naomi L. Naomi L. Jen L. Jen L. John W. John W. Donald MJ. Donald MJ. Christy R. Christy R. Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. And I think this is uh, Merida and Mouse. Marita and Mouse? Yes. All right. And then we would like to give a shout out to Chad K. Chad K. Chad K for increasing the pledge. Nice. Very nice. Listen, we had a lot of nice messages. Chad K, shout out to Chad K, increasing the pledge after Chris left the show. Chris and a few others who didn't also, they didn't leave us messages. So we yeah, didn't really. Yeah, it was kind of an even split, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, some people were not happy and some people were happy and we are happy with the people who are not happy and happy because we are, you know, going to stand by our principles. And yeah. if you are upset about that, then you can leave Patreon and that's fine. I mean, listen, something similar happened. No, not similar. It was far more. And we lost like half our Patreon support after we started criticizing Sam Harris. Yeah. So... Maybe just me saying that will see a, a, a larger exodus, but what? They did? <laughs> well, we feel good about that, too. So Yeah, we do. All these years later. And so, uh, listen, just because we're running ads doesn't mean that, you know, the Patreon is not important. It is very important. We are still very much a listener-supported podcast, and we'll see what happens with these ad things. You know, we're, we're giving it a try. We'll see where, where it goes. But we very much rely on the support of the listeners. And it's not just financial support. If you want to send us some likes and follows and just interacting with the Facebook page, sharing the show with a friend. There are so many things that you can do to help us support the show and all of the listener communication that you give us. Those are things that help. So we really value all of the listeners and thank you for supporting us. And we're happy to be getting this up and running in a real way that feels like it's going to not be so haphazard very soon. Yeah, very, very soon. And also filming it. And putting it up on the YouTube. Yeah, we're filming right now, actually. It's not going to go up because we need to practice with the footage and Just make testing, sure the angles yeah. are right. But yeah, we're, we're practicing that. So let's talk a little bit about this East Palestine, Ohio train derailment that took place um, 
going on two weeks ago now. Yes. So basically the the rundown of that is there were about 50 cars on the train. It was a pretty big train. And 10 of them were carrying hazardous materials. And it derailed in a fiery crash in early February. And one of the one of the cars, maybe more than one, was carrying vinyl chloride, which is a toxic chemical, and it leaked into the air, the soil, the water. People were evacuated when they did a controlled burning of the highly flammable toxic chemical, and they put a dark plume of smoke into the air. Yeah. And it, it has just been a, a bad situation. Now, I, I do want to caution people because the, the right wing in this country, Fox News, has been really running with this story, acting like no one is covering it. And that's yeah. just not true. Many leftists on Twitter have been on this since it happened. It is a rural community. It is a uh, primarily, I, I think, white community. Trump Trump supporting community. And that's why Fox News is really going for this and talking about it as though it's a political issue. Crickets for Flint. Wall to wall coverage when it's white people. Yeah. And listen, it is concerning. Children have been uh, having asthma attacks, vomiting, rashes. Hundreds of animals have died. There's reports of animals dying. There was lack of communication when it came to the evacuation orders. They were told, you know, you need to evacuate, but now it's safe to come home. The air is safe, but hey, don't drink the water yet. Oh, and also 3,500 fish have died. So like there's been a lot of inconsistent messages where the people are justifiably concerned and wanting more answers from the government. It's been nearly a week since the evacuation order was lifted in East Palestine, Ohio, where a train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed on February 3rd. You, You might remember three days after the derailment, fearing an explosion, authorities controlled what they called a controlled release of the toxic chemicals. They burned off, which created a massive black cloud over the town. And while the EPA has tried to reassure the public that the air and water in the area are safe. Not all residents are convinced, and they are incredibly concerned about the long-term potential impacts both on the environment and the economy. CNN's Jason Carroll is in East Palestine, Ohio. And Jason, Ohio Governor DeWine gave an update on this just a short while ago. What did he have to say? He did, he did. And one of the headlines coming out of this update from the governor as well as state health officials, Jake, is that they're now strongly recommending that those who who evacuated and returned home, some of those folks, they're saying you should be drinking bottled water until further notice. This is especially true, they say, of pregnant women and also women who are breastfeeding. Also included in that are folks who have private wells. And so this announcement just coming out just a short while ago, they're saying that, again, uh, most of the contaminants have been contained, but they want to wait for more testing to come back um, from the municipal testing that is still outstanding. So right now, in terms of the cleanup effort, they're focused on four waterways. Uh, They do say that since the train derailment and since the controlled release, they say that now an estimated 3,500 fish have died from 12 different species. We've spoken to a number of people here on the ground who are hearing about all this information. They are extremely frustrated and quite frankly, really worried about their safety. The governor was asked about that. He said if he lived in the area, would he feel safe being at home? I think that I would be drinking the bottled water um, and I would be 
continuing to uh, uh, find out what the tests were showing as far as the air. Um, I would be alert and and concerned, but uh, I think I would probably be back in my house. Not good. Yeah, so some of these concerns are because of the inconsistent information that has been coming out. And part of this is because this is a smaller community. There are not as many local resources in terms of local news reporting, for example. And so the information has been slow to get out. It's been inconsistent. And part of that is also just in like the EPA, for example, they came out and they said that the train was actually carrying more toxic chemicals than first reported. Today, the EPA said the train that derailed and caught fire in East Palestine, Ohio, was carrying and actually released more toxic chemicals than was first reported. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine also revealing that the train was not categorized as carrying high-risk chemicals. He now wants Congress to look into that. Water quality has been one of many concerns following that disaster. Chemicals did reach the Ohio River, and 3,500 fish have likely died in streams and tributaries. But Ohio officials today trying to reassure the public. So good news, there doesn't appear to be any increase in the fish or aquatic creatures killed since the first couple days of the derailment. The Ohio River is very large, and it's a water body that's able to dilute the pollutants pretty quickly. The NTSB may be zeroing in on the disastrous cause. In the meantime, federal investigators have surveillance video from a resident showing what appears to be a wheel bearing in the final stage of what it calls overheat failure moments before the derailment. Now, listen, there are there are no shortage of stories in print or on TV about this story. This story is absolutely getting covered, and there's a right-wing talking point out there that it's being ignored by the mainstream media because it's impacting primarily white Trump supporters, which is just absolute fucking nonsense. Every ardent environmentalist that that I follow or see on Twitter Who's a who's a, a lefty or even just a, a, your run of the mill milk toast liberal is talking about this like it's a problem that we need to solve and and and, and combat. Yeah. What the problem with it is is that the Republicans and Fox News and the conservative audience they're not pointing the fingers where they need to be pointed, like Donald Trump rolling back regulatory um, restrictions on. Railroads on these companies that transport these hazardous, dangerous chemicals. They want to they wanna make it a, a woke issue. Even uh, one of these Fox News idiots was saying that it, this is because of the woke that this happened. It's just not dealing with reality on reality's terms. Yeah, I mean, the right wing is definitely using this as an opportunity to pretend they care about environmental disasters, like especially those ones that are caused by corporate greed. Right. In in this case, you know, cutting costs, cutting staff, cutting corners, or even just negligence on the part of our government, like you just talked about. In 2018, an Associated Press review of the Transportation Department's rulemaking activities in Donald Trump's first year in office showed at least a dozen safety rules that were under development or already adopted that were repealed, withdrawn, 
delayed or put on the back burner. And actually, Jake Tapper used this as an opportunity to ask Representative Bill Johnson if they're going to see if Donald Trump's 2018 rollbacks of safety regulations had any impact here. Questions are back in 2018, the Trump administration rolled back some regulations around freight trains. The argument then was uh, it would be good to, to cut the red tape. The safety increases did not meet the costs to the companies, including the types of brakes used on trains containing flammable oil. Um, I know it's early, but uh, will you be looking into whether or not that move contributed at all to this accident? Well, I, you know, right now my focus is on the residents of East Palestine and making sure that they have what they need, that their concerns are being addressed, that they get the answers that they need. I am confident that the National uh, Transportation Safety Board, they are looking at that. Their report is supposed to be out in about uh, two weeks. Uh, I am going to be looking closely at what their findings are. If there's something that we need to fix legislatively, uh, Jake, you can better believe in a rural area like this that has a lot of rail traffic coming through my little communities all across eastern Ohio, you can better believe I'll be taking action to to fix anything that's broken. All right, Congressman Bill Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time. Please come back and tell us uh, more about what's going on in East Palestine as you learn more. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. So this is a terrible, devastating environmental disaster, which has likely killed thousands of fish, is having health impacts for human beings. The full impact we don't quite know yet because it's it's going to take time to really figure out what's going on, what the damaging effects have been. But what we do know is that it is not helpful to do what people on the right are doing in terms of amplifying misinformation. Jesse Waters on Fox News said that this has caused acid rain to fall from the sky. That's not something that happened. You know, these are comments that are not helpful, you right. know. And and so I understand that it may be difficult to wade through what is going on in 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 East Palestine, Ohio. But you know which news sources to trust. Yeah. And I think... Well, you know, you certainly know which one's not to trust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can go to NPR, and you can go to Reuters, and you can go to the Associated Press, and there's, there's organizations that have factual information about this, and we do not want to fall into the trap like the right wing of, of talking about this and amplifying misinformation. We also don't want to ignore it because it is a, a bunch of white Trump supporters. I mean, this is poisoning the earth, and that's something we all need to be... Um, aware of and and advocating for or against, as it were. Absolutely. We'd love to know what you think, especially if you live in Ohio in this area. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Studio Kids Miami Daycare. This is fucking gross, this story. I know, you're like, a daycare? Really, guys? What, what are you doing? But <laughs> you'll get it. You'll get it. So in Miami, there's this daycare that decided to 
celebrate Black History Month and teach their kids about Black History Month in a terrible way that Megyn Kelly, I'm sure. Oh, I was going to make a... I was waiting. I was going to drop a Megyn Kelly joke. This is a little hint, okay, that Megyn Kelly allegedly would probably support. Well, I was going to say, because I still have to get the joke out, I'm still (laughs) unconvinced that Megyn Kelly doesn't have some ownership stake in this daycare. I'm appalled, flabbergasted. There's no words. I'm like, this is, is this even real? This is how a daycare in Miami celebrated Black History Month. A classroom full of two-year-olds in blackface. Where are the checks and balances, right? So nothing like this happens. Good job. Courtney Politis, whose one-year-old daughter attended the daycare but was not in this particular class, says she was horrified when another parent at the school shared these photos originally posted on the daycare's app. They have since been removed. I get a phone call um, from a close mom friend whose child also goes to the school. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what they've done in our child's class. Like, it's I'm sickened right now. I'm completely there's no words. And I'm like, well, tell me. She's like, well, they painted all the children's face blackface and sent messages out saying happy Black History Month. She reached out to daycare owner and director Patricia Vitale that same day. And immediately sending the screenshot over to her and I let her know. I'm like, this is racist. Her response, I'm sorry, question mark. I don't understand. What are you saying? What is racist? Blackface. In our school, we don't use this word, neither. We have this kind of mind. As a mother of two young biracial children, Politis says it's hard to protect them. I thought we would have more time before these sort of things or racism or microaggressions would have to be experienced by our children. Reached by CNN, Vitale declined to comment. But in a message sent to parents the day of the incident, Vitale wrote, we have received a comment from one of our parents regarding the activity that was done in a teacher's class for the Black History Month. We have not intended to offend anyone, and we're very sorry about any inconvenience. The following Monday, Vitale sent another message about improving the training of daycare staff. Following the Black History Month incident, we wanted to let all the parents know that we met Friday afternoon with all the teachers and staff. We went over several ethical and multicultural education points. I will teach them a class covering all the necessary topics regarding U.S. history and multicultural education. You may rest assured this will never happen again. But that promise wasn't enough for Politis. She's pulled her two children out of two separate branches of the Studio Kids Daycare and is looking for another child care provider. Bottom line is we can't trust them with our children. And that's the thing that's most concerning to Courtney Politis, that she can't trust this, these administrators to take care of, care of and educate her children. And you know, she said, I understand that teachers are, have the freedom to create activities for the class, but there are so many other ways you could have celebrated Black History Month. She said another school, uh, they painted traffic signals. They learned about Garrett Morgan, who was a black inventor who got one of the first patents for a traffic signal right. in 1923. And so their activity was painting traffic signals. She wonders why in this class the teacher decided to dress these kids up as different professions simply paint their faces black. That is not a celebration of black history. And she just wonders how this could slip through the cracks. So we'll see what happens. What? Imagine writing that apology or that statement following the Black History Month incident, Mm. following us painting your toddler's faces in blackface. Wow, what? I this just, is crazy. How has the message still not been received by everyone? Well, it has. That's the. I think that's the the overarching thing here. 
it's 2023. There are no excuses for what? What do you? What's racist? What do you, painting? Uh, p- putting your two year old? Because when you see the photos, mm-hmm. they're little kids. Oh yeah, in blackface. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's it's a Megyn Kelly wet dream. Yeah, and they took pictures of them and like put them in the daycare app for the parents, like thinking the parents would be stoked about this. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. How a this truly, happens. truly deserving award for asshole of today. Well, and really, you heard the pain in that mother's voice and how this ultimately is something that now she has to have conversations about, and she didn't think she would have to have conversations this young with her kids, and it, it's. I mean, we can sit here and be like, how is this possible? But it, it did cause harm. And that and that's important sure. to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We're gonna leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We invite your support of the program. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and become a member of the Patreon family for as little as two dollars a month. And every little bit goes a long way to supporting the growth and uh, doing great and big things on the show in this coming year. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.